What about it, pro wrestling fans? And welcome back to episode number two of What About Wrestling. I'm your host, Dylan Roberts. And first off, I just want to thank you guys so much for a successful first episodes. Um, you may have seen in my TikTok that we've done over a hundred downloads in the first four days. That's more than I could have ever dreamed of. Like I said, this podcast didn't really have any promotion or any advertising. It's all by word of mouth. I really appreciate that. So make sure you're telling your friends. I know wrestling isn't the coolest thing in the world, but a lot more people are into it than you would have ever imagined. I've had people message me on Facebook telling me how much they enjoyed the podcast and how big of a wrestling fan they are. And I would never know that otherwise because wrestling's this kind of taboo, not very cool thing. And I understand a lot of people just aren't into it. They find it corny, but there are a lot of people who genuinely enjoy it. They just don't like anybody knowing about it, which is whatever. Like I said in the last episode, I kind of went through that phase myself. So make sure you're following us on all socials. Let's see, you can find us on Facebook at What About Wrestling. You can find us on Twitter at WA Wrestling Pod. You can find us on TikTok at What About Wrestling. And you can find us on Instagram as well at WA Wrestling Pod. With all that said, let's get into the show. Of course, we're going to start with the what is now called five minute warning, even though I'm still probably not going to get all that done in five minutes because there's just so much wrestling throughout the week. I mean, you have five hours of WWE. You have an additional two of AEW, and that's all I try to cover. Sometimes I hit on some of the other stuff too. This week, that's all I'm covering, and AEW is actually the high spot of the week, so maybe I can get to the five minutes this time. All Elite Wrestling's Revolution pay-per-view is the high spot this week, so that's what we're going to go with for the high spot this week. There's a lot to cover. It's a big pay-per-view for them. They've been building to a lot of these storylines for quite some time, so we're going to go over that. And the main event this week is the top 10 opening matches in WrestleMania history. So I'm sure several of you have your favorites. I'm sure pretty much everybody's favorite is going to be number one, even though I tried to justify not putting it putting it at number one. It's just, it's just the best one. Even Meltzer agrees, and I don't really agree with him on a ton of things whenever it comes to match ratings and things of that sort. I did look through his match ratings when I was going through my list. And we disagreed quite a bit on maybe like the order of which ones were the best. But out of all the ones that he had rated that I looked through, I mean, I had a list of like 20 that I started with and kind of started narrowing it down. Most of the ones that are in my top 10 would have been in his top 10 too. They would have been in a very different order. But at the end of the day, they would have been roughly the same our top 13 or 14 would have been about the same. So pretty close. It's it's a good judge of that they are actually really good wrestling matches with good stories being told in the ring, good stories leading up to them. So I'm excited to get into that. But first, let's get started with this five-minute warning. I'm going to just rapid fire through this the best that I can. Although last week I did catch myself going off on tangents about about what these storylines are all about. But I just love pro wrestling, so if you if you hate this part of the show, if you don't want a weekly update, if you watch all the shows and, and don't necessarily want to listen to this part, that's cool too. You can skip straight through this. wouldn't bother me any. But I do feel like it's needed to kind of round up the week in wrestling. And maybe you haven't watched all week, and maybe you just need a quick roundup. So this is for you. So Raw got started off with Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa defeating the Street Profits. 
Solo pinned Angelo Dawkins for the win. I thought it was a decent match. After the match, uh, Solo wraps a chair around the neck of Montez Ford and goes for a hip attack, but Kevin Owens super kicks him out of nowhere and hits Jimmy with a stunner and then quickly retreats. I'm loving what they're doing with the whole black sweatshirt thing with everybody. So Brock accepts MVP's challenge to fight Omos at WrestleMania. Unfortunately, they had a nice little uh, MVP segment in the ring in which Brock came out first, which was pretty funny. And then MVP was kind of nervous to get into the ring. Cody Rhodes defeated Chad Gable in a spectacular match. Chad Gable is so underrated in the ring. His sell of the crossroads was insane. Even if you can just find a Twitter clip of that, I think it's worth going to check out. But it was a great match, and Cody and Chad both great in the ring. Baron Corbin's interview gets interrupted again this week. Poor Baron. Then Kevin Owens says his one goal is to take down the bloodline and doesn't need any help, which was a shot at Sammy that I really liked. Continuing to build on that. Judgment Day does an interview where everyone addresses the WrestleMania opponent, including Balor, who challenges Edge. Super excited for that one, like I said last week. Asuka defeated Carmella. After the match, Asuka calls out Bianca Belair, and out she comes. Carmella with a cheap shot from behind, which put down both, which was kind of cool. I don't necessarily want Carmella to be involved in the match, but building on her character, I definitely appreciate that. Candice LeRae defeated Piper Niven with a little help from Nikki Cross. Miz TV starts. Miz is going to be the host of WrestleMania. Then Seth Rollins interrupts. Logan Paul and Rollins to face off next week after Rollins steals Miz's phone and unlocks it with his face, which is hilarious. At the end of the call, he says, Logan, Logan, one more thing. Bye-bye, bitch which I thought was pretty funny and very Seth Rollins. Theory and Cena are going to face off next week in Boston. I can't wait for that. I said that last week on the podcast. Love both of those guys. Cena is my childhood hero, So, and Theory is very good at what he does. Bobby Lashley defeated Elias. Bray Wyatt appears on the Tron as Lashley's leaving. I love this side of Bray. The video is a workout montage of sorts, and he says, stop complaining and do the muscle man dance which was a ripoff from before, but at the same time, I've seen a lot of hate on Twitter for this, and a lot of people are really just hating the Bray stuff. As a diehard Bray fan, I don't know if I'm just being blind to how bad it is or if it's actually bad. I don't know. I find it very entertaining. I think this Bray Wyatt character is cool. The problem with the Bray Wyatt character right now is wrestling fans have a short attention span. Who knows what's to come? I think a lot of the Bray stuff has to develop over time, so we'll see what happens I've still got a lot of faith in it, but I know a lot of people are sour on it and they want it to end and they want him to move on to something else or just go back to being the original like Louisiana top cult master Bray Wyatt. So it is what it is. I enjoyed it. Johnny Gargano defeated Otis and during the match, Loomis abducts uh, Marseille. Again, just some little storyline stuff, lower end of the card stuff, but I still really enjoy it. Becky Lynch and Lita had their match with Damage Control, and they ended up becoming the new women's tag team champions, which was very shocking to me, as I said on the podcast last week. I wasn't wanting that to happen. The way it kind of played out, though, there's a lot of story to be told, so I'm cool with it. During the match, Trish attacked Bailey to get her out of the match because she kept getting involved, and Lita winning a title in 2023 to me is just wild. She looked kind of slow and plodding in the match. She needs to work off some of the ring rust, but I, I I got some faith in Lita. I think she's, I mean, she's one of the greatest women's wrestlers of all time. She has a reputation for a reason, so 
we will see where it goes. I hope Lita continues to knock off that ring rust, like I said, and continues to build on this storyline. We're going to skip Dynamite because I'm going to cover most of what needs to be said about Dynamite and the high spot. But during SmackDown, it starts out with Roman and Cody, which was, man, it was awesome. The story continues to unfold a little bit more each week with Roman being one of Dusty's kids things. He even does a Dusty impersonation, which I know Cody hates, so that was pretty funny. Even from Cody, the real human being side, was probably cringing at that. But he says during the promo, if there's anything your dad didn't teach you, I will which I thought was a spectacular line. Again, it just feels so real. I love when wrestling has that real feeling to it. My notes say just great promo by both guys. That was all I could think the whole time I was watching it. And at the end, that was still my sentiment. I just thought it was great from both ends. Cody does a great job displaying that he just despises Roman. And it builds a little bit more each week. It's so slow. But at the same time, it's holding your attention. Kind of contrary to the Bray thing for a lot of people. It's slow, but it's not holding everybody's attention. So I'm loving that. Rhea Ripley defeats Liv Morgan in a very good match. I just hope that Liv can start to build some steam again. Maybe post-WrestleMania. It's like I'm like WrestleMania. Nothing's going to be going great for her. But after WrestleMania, I would love to see her kind of start building some steam again. She's one of the best hands on the roster. I don't see anybody that can argue that. She's become very good in the ring. Her character work is good. It's crazy to think about the fact that at one point she was considered to be kind of bad because how how good she is now. So shouts out to Liv. Hope she continues to to kind of build because she's in a slump right now. Dominic Mysterio defeated Santos Escobar with help from Rhea Ripley. I love this dynamic. Rhea feels like China, but China couldn't really work and Rhea can go in the ring. She's got that big, strong character. I think it works really well with Dom. Dom's slowly becoming one of the top three heels in WWE. He's incredible. It's crazy to think, again, looking back to last year's WrestleMania, how everybody was so down on him and people just despised even seeing him coming to the ring. Now, I mean, they despise him coming to the ring for a totally different reason, but I think he's great at what he does. In the next segment, Drew calls out Gunther. Sheamus comes out and is upset with Drew and calls him a backstabbing bastard because he felt like it was his spot to, to challenge for the IC title. Then L.A. Knight comes out and interrupts and says you can't have a WrestleMania in L.A. with that L.A. Knight, which, again, he said last week, but I think it's great. The New Day comes out and then starts insulting L.A. Knight again. Karrion Cross comes down and all hell breaks loose. So setting up something good, it's probably going to be one of those classic IC title ladder matches that I will mention later in this podcast. Spoiler alert. And then Shayna Baszler defeated Tegan Knox. I'll be completely honest with you. When this match came on, I walked out of the room. I was getting my daughters ready for bed, so not very interested in that. Bobby Lashley calls out Bray Wyatt, and Uncle Howdy's music hits, and he attacks Lashley from behind. But Lashley fights back and sets up for a spear. The lights go out, and Uncle Howdy's gone. This is, again, one of the nitpicky things that people don't like Bray for, for the supernatural stuff. I'm not a huge fan of the supernatural stuff. You guys hear me say things about AEW that I'm not a fan of because maybe they don't seem so real. This would be a total contradiction on my part, but I, I guess I'm being contradictory. I don't know. It's it's one of those things. I like it. So The Bloodline story carried throughout the whole night, as it kind of always does. 
talking about how they're unsure of Jay's allegiance to the bloodline. Roman says he's losing his patience, but it's not with Jay, it's with Jimmy. Roman tells Jimmy that Sammy's the reason for all the uh, the dissension in the bloodline, that if he eliminates Sammy, that Jay will come back. Roman also says if Jay isn't back in the bloodline next week, that he's going to blame, he isn't going to blame Sammy, he's going to blame Jimmy. He sent Jimmy out to the ring with Solo Sokoa for the main event match between Solo and Sammy. Solo defeated Sammy with help from Jimmy. Solo and Jimmy attack Sammy after the match, but Sammy gets the best of them and escapes to the crowd. Then they show Jimmy and Roman just visually pissed off. So that was the end of SmackDown. Thought it was a pretty good week for WWE. Again, like I said last week, they're in that, that transitionary period in between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. You have to let storylines develop. You have to tell them at a good pace, but not lose people's interest. I think I've said for just about every storyline that was covered this week that that was the case. I mean, I think they've done a really good job. The Bianca and Asuka feud, and then the Rhea and Charlotte feud, which just so happened to be both women's feuds. I don't know if Triple H is having a tough time booking the women. It doesn't really seem like it, maybe just right now for this WrestleMania time period, but neither one of those feuds, the storyline side, are feeling very good for me. On paper, great especially the Asuka and Bianca match. I think it's just going to be a great in-ring match, but we'll see where WWE goes with these things. It's it's that weird period. I, I can't say that enough. I'm not trying to defend them. I just know that they're at least holding my interest. I'm not skipping through Raws. I'm not skipping through SmackDowns outside of the Shayna and Tegan match. I, I'm not having to be like, okay, well, I'll just record it and watch it later. I feel the need to sit down in front of the TV when the show is live and watch the shows live, which, you know, two years ago for WWE, for any fan, even the diest of the diehards would have been a bit of a challenge. I was skipping through stuff. No matter how much I love wrestling or how much I love WWE, I was skipping through some stuff. So I'm not having to do that right now. And that's exciting. I love that. So the high spot of the week is AEW Revolution, the pay-per-view that's going down this Sunday. So there's only about eight matches headed into the Revolution pay-per-view on Sunday that I'm going to cover. I know that they do like the zero-hour thing, and they do like some pre-show type stuff. From my vantage point, there's only eight matches that need to be talked about, so I'm going to talk about them. I don't know what order the card's going to go down. I just kind of put them up here randomly in the order that I felt like talking about them. The first match that I was going to talk about is the AEW Trios Championship match between the House of Black and the Elite. If you're looking, if you're an AEW diehard fan, this is a match that you kind of live for, right? There's three guys who define the company squaring off against three really good workers who work a much different style than those other three guys. There's a story that can be told when that happens. There can either be a clash of styles or there can be a story that's told. There's been virtually no buildup to this match other than when the House of Black attacked the Elite this week, which I thought was a good... If they would have done that four weeks ago and then built upon that, I think that this match would mean a lot more and would be another reason why you should buy the pay-per-view. I think that it's going to be a match that you're going to want to tune in for. So... It's definitely a selling point for a lot of people. But after the House of Black attacked the Elite, Malachi Black cut a promo that I thought was really good. He's got really good promo skills. He has that Jake the Snake kind of promo style where he has great voice inflection. So I thought he'd done a really good job. But other than that, not, not a great story leading into this one. I'd like to see the House of Black win this one. 
and maybe carry out the feud for another month or so and then get the Bucks into the tag title picture and let Kenny be a star that he is. He is a mega star because even, I mean, like he doesn't bat a thousand for me, but there's no denying that he's one of the top performers in the world. You can say whatever you want to. I know Jim Cornette and all these people hate Kenny Omega. And again, Kenny doesn't wrestle my style. I think I've made that known already through two episodes of like what I like and the style that I like. Kenny doesn't do necessarily what I love, but Kenny is entertaining. Kenny has star written all over him. Kenny has a good look. Kenny's a good human being outside of the ring, it seems like. So it's going to be a great match. I think it's one that most people are going to want to watch. The next match is the Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, and Christian Cage match. As far as the story goes, it may be the most compelling story leading into this weekend's event. Christian's promo this week I thought was a masterclass in heel promos. He did stumble around a little bit through certain parts of it, but he got over that really quickly. And I thought that he said what a good heel should say. He tried to break down the fourth wall and talk about how he's in it for the money and things of that nature. I just thought it was a really good promo. And then Jungle Boy interrupted that promo. The lights went black again. Jungle Boy was up on the screen and he was literally in a grave, digging a grave for Christian. He cut a good promo. Then they showed Christian's name on a tombstone. thought it was a good touch. This story's been building for a really long time. I don't know if this will for sure be the blow off but either way i'd like to see jungle boy get the win i think it'd be best for him christian doesn't need a win christian's been building this up for jungle boy to be the hero so i think it'd be a great spot for the jungle boy to get the win here the samoa joe and wardlow story is an absolute blood feud i don't think it's a story we will remember years from now but the match we might because this is just two badasses that want to rip each other's head off. The story of Joe cutting off Wardlow's hair that he had grown out in remembrance of his father. I, I think that's a nice touch. It's, it's bringing some realism into the story. Again, I love that kind of stuff. I don't want to hear somebody's life story in the show. I mean, I want to hear it outside of the show, but I don't want to hear it in the show. But that's a nice touch. I think that's awesome. But I want this match to start hot. And then with the bang, I want them to beat the crap out of each other the whole match. They're two big dudes. They're both brawlers. They're both tough. Give me that. And the added sidebar of Powerhouse Hobbs officially being the next in line. So with that being said, with Hobbs sitting on the sidelines waiting, I'd like to see Joe win here and move on to Hobbs, getting the TNT title eventually. I think Joe needs to drop it to Hobbs. I don't think Wardlow needs to drop it to Hobbs or... Wardlow needs to beat Hobbs or anything like that. I think that let Wardlow find a clever way for him to lose here and then move Wardlow into being MJF's next opponent. I think Wardlow's, again, I think he's one of your biggest stars. He has that look about him, and it's funny. They were doing the parody on being the elite of Wardlow being Batista-esque because that's kind of who everybody compares him to, but he really is a lot like him. He has a great look. He's young. He's he's marketable. I think that you move Wardlow into the, the main title picture, the world title picture after this pay-per-view or whenever you get done with the Daniel Bryan stuff with MJF. So next match I want to talk about is the eight-man tag title match. It's really just a two-team story for me. While I do love me some Double J, I think the added in additional teams is pretty pointless. I don't see why they've done that. 
other than to just get more people in the show. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I missed an episode of Rampage or whatever the situation may have been. I just don't understand why they have two more teams in this that don't need to be in it. The story involving Orange Cassidy this week I thought was really compelling. I was pretty tough on Orange Cassidy last week, so I do need to give props where props is due. Tony Khan booked a story up where Orange Cassidy had a tough match to start the show, got injured, then got entered into the Casino Battle Royale, and then they ended up winning, him and Danhausen. So I thought that was a good touch to show that Orange Cassidy's a fighter, which they've shown that before, but I just thought it was a good touch for this week to show what he can do and how he can go and how he's tough and get the fans behind him because he's one of their biggest baby faces. So nice touch, Tony Khan. The the thing with the Gun Brothers and the Acclaimed, it's kind of wore out for me. I don't know exactly how long the story's been going on, but it feels like it's been going on forever. It's time for that to come to an end. Let the Acclaimed win the titles back. And like I said earlier about getting the Young Bucks back into the title picture, that's a match people will pay for. The Young Bucks and the Acclaimed is something that the people will love. The people love the Young Bucks and the people love the Acclaimed. The Acclaimed with the scissor fingers in the audience and everybody's scissoring when they come out. They're super over. So give them the titles back. Get them to the Young Bucks. Let them go back and forth. Swap the titles a couple times. And then a year from now, you'll be in a great spot with the tag titles. So the next one, brace yourselves. Because I'm about to say the most negative things on this podcast that I might ever say. That's probably not true, but it feels like that. I hope that that's true. Because the whole point of this podcast was to not be negative. Because there's so many negative podcasts out there. But I'm just afraid that Tony Khan has no clue how to book women. His booking of the women's division has just been piss poor from day one. And I hate that because all the good things that I said about WWE last week about how they finally started booking women correctly. Now, given it took the WWE 60 years to start booking women correctly, but I just hope it doesn't take Tony that long. I think now women are so much more respected in sports and in society that go ahead and start writing their storylines to be coherent and to make sense and to be a feature of the show that people want to see and run with it. You have Britt Baker, who's carried this story, even though she's not even actually in the match. She's a star. She's somebody that I think the WWE is going to go after hard when her contract is up. So she's not even in the match, and she's been doing a lot of the promo work carrying this match. You have one of WWE's top women stars of the last 15 years in Soraya. She just came back from a career-ending injury, or so we thought. And then you have Ruby Soho, who everybody thought was mistreated in WWE. And she's just kind of caught in the middle, where it just seems like she's lost. And then your champion, who's in this three-way match, Jamie Hayter who I think could also be another huge star. She's got a great look. She works well in the ring. Her promos are getting better. Thanks to Britt Baker, I think a lot of that, you know, I think Britt deserves a lot of that credit because she definitely got her along in her promos. I just, I don't know. This match, it just feels so pointless. It has a story, but the story's just been told bad. It's not been told well at all. The Soraya and Tony Storm stuff just feels super odd. Britt kind of outshines everybody in the match, and she's not in it. 
And again, Ruby Soho is just kind of lingering off to the side. I, I don't know. I don't want to be so down on something. But I just have zero interest in this match. I want the women to be featured prominently. I'm not saying in the main event. But give them some good stories. You got talent. Just let them be good. Again, I don't work behind the scenes. I don't know how this stuff goes. But I just I wish there was more for the women. Because Jamie Hayter needs to win this match. Have Britt Baker turn on her. And then let them have a feud that builds Jamie up, gets Britt back in the title picture. Because those are your two stars, biggest stars, I think, in this. Other than Soraya. I mean, but it looks like her the time is kind of dwindling. I know she just came back, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe Soraya has a lot more years left in her. But it just feels, feels weird, which is odd that the next match that I'm going to talk about is Ricky Starks and Chris Jericho. Ricky Starks is a future big money draw. And I can't say that loud enough without popping this microphone. I think this story with Jericho has been told okay. I like that the Jericho Appreciation Society is banned from ringside. But I do feel like Jericho's best days are behind him. But that's no knock on him. He's one of the greatest of all time, you stupid idiot. This should be a great stepping stone for Starks. Let him get the win. Let him get involved with someone a little farther up the card. Maybe just shove him straight into the All-Atlantic title picture and give him a belt, man. I mean, he's definitely going to be AEW World Champion at some point. I don't think that now's the time. Although I think that he's ready. I just think that he's so far down on the card that... And maybe this, I mean, he's got a match with Jericho, who's like their biggest star, I guess. But this doesn't feel like a big match to me. So let him get some title wins, you know, drop the All-Atlantic, maybe move into the TNT, drop that, move into the AEW world title. Give him a very classic build because he's not a big monster. You can't just shove him straight into the world title picture or anything like that. Or maybe AEW can. I know that WWE wouldn't just immediately do something like that. That'd be like saying that Ricochet needs to be in the world title picture coming out of WrestleMania. I just, he's got big star written all over him. He is special, but let's get him some title wins. Let's get him in the title picture. The last two matches are the matches that will have me tuning into this show. I could probably skip this show if these last two matches weren't on here. John Moxley versus Hangman Adam Page. It's going to be absolutely violent, like Don't let your kids watch this violent. The only thing about that for me is John Moxley bleeds every single week on TV. Even this week, they showed a promo that he cut after Dynamite last week, after his scuffle, where he still had blood, he was still bleeding, he had blood all over him, and he cuts this great promo that John Moxley can cut. He's very capable of cutting a great promo. But he's covered in blood, man. So, like, come on. I don't know why he has to bleed every single week on TV. Because now he's going into a Texas death match in which, man, you'd like to see some blood. But when John Moxley starts to bleed, nobody's going to care. Because he does it every single week. Now imagine if he hadn't bled in two months whenever he gets busted open here. The crowd would go nuts. 
And the AEW crowd probably is going to go nuts because they're such a great fan base and they go crazy for all the big spots. But the people at home, I don't think are going to care as much in my eyes. It's not as special. But with all that being said, this is going to be a great match and it's going to be remembered all year long. I think it's one of the matches that at the end of 2023, we're going to look back on and I don't know if we're going to say match of the year, but it's definitely going to be one of the ones we're going to be like, I remember that one. They beat the hell out of each other. So these two dudes are great. I know they'll tell a great story in the ring. They both make you feel like they're willing to die in the ring. My gut tells me, though, that John Moxley should get the win here. But if I was booking it, I'd give Hangman Adam Page the win. But that's I think that's strictly because I'm such a huge Hangman Adam Page fan. And I loved it when he was on top. But I, I think the correct move here is to let Moxley get the win. But again, that's totally... I mean, this is such a toss-up match, but... The main event of the evening is Mr. Maxwell Jacob Friedman and Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson is one of the greatest technicians the business has ever seen. And I don't think anybody will argue that unless somebody that hasn't watched wrestling in the past 20 years and still hung up on maybe like Brett and Sean or Owen or Chris Benoit or somebody like that. Let me tell you, Brian Danielson is the truth in the ring. And then you got MJF, who may literally be the biggest star of the next generation. I think he will be the biggest star of the next generation. So, you've got two great components in this match. This has been one of the best stories that AEW's told this year. I know it's been a short year, it's been two months, but it's got to be the best story they've told this year. So, that's a positive because a lot of people hate on AEW storytelling. So they've told the story very well. There's so much heat on MJF. He makes all these personal attacks, like verbal, just knife cutting attacks on Brian and his family while also cutting promos that subtly tell you how big of a piece of crap he is. But in his eyes, everything he does and says is true and it's the right way to live. That's the true mark of a great heel. He thinks that getting to the top at any cost is is the correct way to do things. So I love it. I think it's super cool. Again, you're going to hear me talk on and on and on about MJF and how great he is. And Brian Danielson too. Although I feel like his AEW run hasn't been as special as I was hoping for it to be, he's still incredible. I can't overstate that enough. This is this is the match that I say watch. This is the one. I say out of all the matches on this pay-per-view, this is the match you need to watch. This is the reason to buy the pay-per-view. You 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 stick around for the other stuff. You stick around for the Moxley and the Hangman stuff. Although this match will be going on last. So I guess you're sticking around for this match. But you get what I'm saying. This is the reason to buy the pay-per-view. The other stuff's added bonuses, and it'll be super cool. You'll have a good time. In the last podcast, I talked about how AEW hasn't been very great this year, but the story in the Danielson and MJF match, I think, I think makes worth buying this show. So I hate to see Brian keep losing, but I think in this case, I think MJF needs to raise his hand at the end of the night. I think that's the correct call. Keep the title on him. Start feeding them, people. It's that time. So, we'll see. Now, it is time to get into the main event of the evening. We're going to count down the top 10 opening matches in WrestleMania history. From number 10 to number 1 being the greatest opening match in WrestleMania history, in my opinion. In number 10 spot, we have Daniel Bryan 
at WrestleMania 31, winning the IC title against Bad News Barrett, Luke Harper, Dolph Ziggler, Dean Ambrose, R-Truth, and Stardust. There's so many great high spots in this match. This is the point where I feel like wrestling was starting to turn around a little bit. You know, coming out of the WrestleMania 28 stuff, like I said, was the good kickoff spot, and then 29, and then 30. And 30 was an incredible WrestleMania, but 31, I think, was the point where people were like, okay, this new influx of talent, this NXT crowd is here, and they're making some noise. So you could see that throughout the show, but I think that this is the WrestleMania where people started to really pay attention to the new generation of wrestlers. But like I said, there were so many great high spots in this match. It was a huge win for Brian because I felt like he needed a huge moment. Coming out of the WrestleMania 30 stuff where he was on top of the world and then had the neck injury and had to vacate the title, I just thought he lost some steam. The fans still loved him at this point. They still wanted to see Daniel Bryan on top of the world. So this WrestleMania 31 win for the IC title, a title that the great technicians had, and like I just stated just a second ago about how great of a technician he is, this wasn't a technical match, though. There was so many bumps around the ring. There were so many good high spots from Luke Harper and Dean Ambrose. But the finish with Daniel Bryan and Dolph Ziggler on top of the ladder was perfect. So go check that match out. That's number 10. Number 9 is Mr. Kennedy at WrestleMania 23 winning the Money in the Bank briefcase against Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton, Edge, CM Punk, Finley, and King Booker. Jeff Hardy had a spot with a leg drop to take Edge through a ladder. I think this was the first time that I've seen this spot. The ladder was stacked from the ring over to the barricade. And then there was a spot in the match where Mr. Kennedy grabbed Hornswoggle and done a Green Bay plunge off the top of the ladder. My notes, all it says about this match is just go watch it. There's so much chaos. Kind of the same thing with the last match. In these ladder matches at WrestleMania... It's kind of hard to explain them because there's just so much chaos. There's so many big spots. But with these two matches, I thought a great story was told. So I think you should definitely go check it out. It was what I believed at the time to be a great launching point for Mr. Kennedy. It ended up not being. There was some behind-the-scenes stuff going on for him. But at the end of the day, I think that if you watch that match in singularity, I, I think it was a perfect Money in the Bank ladder match. There were several that were on a lot of people's lists. And I think that this was the best one, in my opinion. In the number eight spot, we've got Rey Mysterio defeating Eddie Guerrero. What a great callback, man. Their match from Halloween Havoc 1997 is regarded as one of the greatest cruiserweight matches of all the time. This one was not as great as their first, but it was still very, very good. There was all the high spots that you would expect in a Rey and Eddie match. They... We're kind of selling Ray's mask coming off, sort of. I don't even know if that was intentional. It kind of seemed like Ray's mask was just loose. But it was weird because it was like a grudge match, but they were tag team champions at the time. It's so odd when you can tell a story when it seems like the story's kind of pinned itself against you. And these are two of the greatest of all time. They proved it in this match. They proved that Ray and Eddie had this chemistry that was unmatched. Again, this was not as good as their first one, but... All over four, four and a half stars for me. Maybe it's just because I'm such a big Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero fan, but they made sense of out of everything. They made the high spots make sense. And at the end, Ray got a quick cover off a of Hurricane Rana for the win. So that's another thing. It didn't just finish with, 
you know, some brutal move or anything like that. It was just like Ray got the best of Eddie after the match. They had a really awkward handshake. And then a couple months later, they started their feud that read in, that led into SummerSlam that ended up being the uh, custody of Dominic Mysterio match, which saying that in 2023 is pretty funny because of what all has become of that. In the number seven spot, I have Edge defeating Alberto Del Rio at WrestleMania 27. This is the first time that the world title was defended in the opening match of the show. So that alone should tell you how big of a match this is. Now it's happened a few times since then as the roster's grown and the product has grown and then WrestleMania's went to being like eight hours long. But at the time, this had never been done. And I thought that Edge and Del Rio put on a fantastic match, especially considering that Edge was in so much pain and that we did not know about. Del Rio worked the arm the whole match, which this is where wrestling fans get kind of divided. And this is where you start to tell more and more about my favorite style of wrestling. Del Rio working the arm throughout this match, I think it's magical. I think that it's beautiful wrestling. I think that it's great storytelling. Some people would have rather had him flying around doing high spots. But again, I think that high spots in the right scenarios with the right people and told correctly are good. I think in matches like this where you have talent like Edge and Alberto Del Rio, selling an arm is a fantastic way to go. But... In the end, Edge gets the win, and it ends up being his retirement match, or so we thought at the time. Edge found out he had some neck trouble and had to retire the next night on Raw. I wasn't watching it this time, but this was one of those things that come up on social media somehow. I guess it would have been Facebook at the time. When I seen that Edge was retiring, it broke my heart because he was the biggest heel of my generation. He was John Cena's arch nemesis. So I did make a point to go back and check this out. And to see the match and then to see Edge retiring the next night, it was heartbreaking. It really was. So I'm so glad that Edge came back. But number seven, Edge versus Alberto Del Rio at WrestleMania 27. The next match on this list is the first match on this list that I was in attendance for. And it is AJ Styles defeating Shane McMahon at WrestleMania 33. I don't know about what was going on with my expectations for this match but I didn't have super high expectations I know that you know AJ Styles will go down as one of the greatest in-ring performers of all time but the the addition of Shane McMahon Shane can go but I just thought there might be a, a clash of styles no pun intended that literally just came off the top but there was a lot of great rest, uh, mat wrestling in this match with Shane's jiu-jitsu background AJ Styles reversing the armbar into Styles Clash was a very unique thing. I thought it was super cool. AJ Styles attempted to hit a coast-to-coast with a garbage can in front of Shane's face. Shane grabs the can and launches it into AJ's face. It was a great spot. And then Shane goes for a coast-to-coast of his own and hits it. And then he tries to go, you just know how Shane does in his matches, man. He goes crazy. He starts doing all these crazy things. They make sense. But at the same time, it's just bonkers. And he goes for a elbow drop to the announcer's table. And he misses it. 
and then or no he hit the he hit the elbow and then he missed the shooting star press afterwards sorry my apologies but in the end aj styles picked up the win in his heel persona and was off to the races aj styles again can't overstate how amazing he is so number six on the list was aj styles defeating shane mcmahon at wrestlemania 33 now we're into the top five number five Seth Rollins defeating Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 35. I just talked about this match a little bit last week, so I'm not going to get too far into it. But if you want to look at that, go into the archives. I also talk about how big of a Seth Rollins fan I am. So I think he's on this list twice, and this is number five, and he's just this is his first appearance, so you can only tell that it's going to go up for here for him. But the match was just brutal, man. Everybody wanted to see Seth Rollins win. They wanted to see him take down Lesnar. Before the match, Lesnar attacked him, and they just beat the hell out of each other. And then the bell rang, and then Seth Rollins hit three curb stomps. It took three curb stomps to put down Brock Lesnar, which is what we want. It's great storytelling. Brock's a beast. Seth's an underdog. Make it wild. Make it chaotic. But make it make sense. And then make Seth have to overcome this big obstacle with three curb stomps and get the win. And then Seth, you know, races the universal title like I talked about last week. It was a great start to WrestleMania 35. Very, very long show that we sat through in the cold weather of New Jersey. But that match definitely got me started. Got me started out right. So number four. This is where I'm going to get a lot of hate because I think that this people this is people see the number one or number two. So, sorry guys. But it's Daniel Bryan again defeating Triple H at WrestleMania 30. The story leading into this was that the WWE was still trying to hold Daniel Bryan down. So he had to beat Triple H to even get a chance to make it into the main event. It was a very Triple H match. It was long, but it told an amazing story. In the final sequence though, Triple H hits a pedigree and everyone thinks it's over but brian kicks out and then daniel bryan eventually hits a running knee and seals the win it was an amazing moment but it was only step one of the night and everybody knew that he had a bigger obstacle coming later on in the night but before that after the match triple h just wrecks him adding to the drama of brian doing the impossible in the end and winning the main event of WrestleMania 30, creating that spectacular shot of him holding both titles in WrestleMania 30. In the number three spot, we have Seth Rollins again, defeating The Miz and Finn Balor at WrestleMania 34. Rollins' entrance was awesome. I'll just start by saying that. When I watched this match back earlier, I was like, I'm not even a Game of Thrones fan. I've never watched the show, but even as just a spectator, I thought, what a spectacle, man. This is WrestleMania. This is what WrestleMania is about, stuff like this. The three, they're three of the best in the business at the time. I know Miz gets a lot of hate for wrestling a, quote, WWE style, but he's one of the best. And then everybody loved Finn Balor and Seth Rollins at this time. The closing sequence of this match was phenomenal. Rollins going for a suplex from the top rope into a Falcon Arrow but Balor rolls him up for a two count. The Miz hits a skull-crushing finale on Rollins, and then Balor interrupts it. They eventually lead to a sequence where Miz does a skull-crushing finale on Rollins again off the top rope. After that, Balor hits a coup de gras on top of the Miz while he's pinning Seth Rollins. Rollins hits a stomp on Balor and the Miz to get the win. There's so many moving parts there at the end. It was unlimited finishers. It felt like coup de gras and skull crushing finales and then a skull crushing finale from the top rope. 
And then Balor hitting another coup de gras, and then Rollins eventually getting in two stomps to put them both down and cover Miz for the win. I just thought it was spectacular. After the match, there's a documentary, I don't remember which one it is on WWE, on the Peacock Network, where Seth Rollins walks back through the curtain and says, there's been 34 opening matches in WrestleMania history. You can put that one up against any of them. And although it comes to hitting number three on my list, I definitely think you can put it up against the top two and have just as good of a time watching it. The number two greatest opening WrestleMania match of all time on my list is Zack Ryder winning the Intercontinental title against The Miz, Stardust, Dolph Ziggler, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, and Sin Cara. Again, these ladder matches are full of incredible high spots. Sami Zayn's dive through the ladder, Sin Cara's where he was on the ladder and then hit the top rope and then done the flip onto everybody. It was just wild. There was so much room for error in a lot of these high spots, which I think added to them because a lot of high spots, you know what's coming. You know you know Jeff Hardy can hit a swanton. You know that guys can do moonsaults or, or whatever the high spot for most matches are. You know that they can do them. But when you start seeing a guy jump off of a ladder onto a piece of actual rope and then bounce off of that and do a front flip onto a group of guys, it was so awesome. The conclusion of the match was perfect for me. You have The Miz sitting on top of the ladder, being a perfect heel, knowing that he's about to take the IC title down. And The Miz is such a great Intercontinental Champion. And then out of nowhere, a guy who wasn't even supposed to be in the match, who has fought through all this adversity. The fans have always loved him. He's got no respect. Zack Ryder coming in and pushing The Miz off and winning the IC title. I just thought it was a spectacular moment. It was a great start to the night, and it could not have went any better. And finally, in the number one spot, if you're a diehard wrestling fan at all, you know which match I'm about to talk about. And like I said, I tried to keep this match out of the number one spot just to be different, just to be creative and cool, but there's just no way you can. This is the greatest opening match in WrestleMania history. Or at least for the first 38 it has been. That may change in the next few years. I doubt it. There's been 30 other, 37 other attempts at this. And nobody has done a better job than Owen Hart defeating Bret Hart at WrestleMania 10. Man, what a dang story. Owen's jealousy of Bret's stardom had finally wore him and drove him to do the unthinkable. To turn on Bret Hart. Bret was ready to go on to his second main event in a row at WrestleMania. But first, he ended up having to fight his own brother. Owen held his ground in the match masterfully. And both are legendary technicians. But Bret had to resort to some added moves into his repertoire. And they were moves that he didn't typically do. So he ended up taking a dive to the outside and hurt his knee. Owen capitalized on that and worked his knee and finally got Brett into the sharpshooter. But then Brett reversed it. Then Brett tried to hit a roll-up and Owen reverses the roll-up and gets a three-count pinfall, proving that he is just as good as Brett. What a big chance for the WWE to take on Owen at the time. You're building Brett, right? Like, we all know the story. Brett wins the title at the end of the night in the main event. And you have this chance to kind of build another guy to prove that Owen can go. Let Owen prove that he can go. And they done it. They actually done it. As much as WWE gets hated on for not taking chances on guys. And I know Brett was probably politicking for his brother. But at the end of the day, Owen proved it. Owen proved why he was there. 
And you can't expect anything more from somebody than when given the opportunity that they capitalize on it. I think you should go watch all 10 of these matches if you get the chance. But if you're only going to watch one, Owen and Brett is the match that you should watch. So I hope you guys enjoyed this entire episode. Make sure you go follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter. On TikTok and on Facebook, we are What About Wrestling on Twitter and Instagram, we are WA Wrestling Pod. Follow us, guys. It helps me more than you will ever know. Also, if you don't mind, share this with your friends. Like, subscribe, download, follow on all your podcast channels. I know I sound very pity me asking that, but I want to see this grow. I want to build a community of wrestling fans that enjoy wrestling and don't just want to hear somebody hating on it. I did get a little negative in this episode, but it's all for the betterment of wrestling, right? So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And with that being said, peace.